I want to minister this morning on a greater than Jonah is here. I take that title directly from the lips of Jesus who said that about himself, a greater than Jonah is here. One of the questions that's been asked of me probably more than any since we began this journey on Jonah was why Jonah? Why did Jonah infatuate me for about two years to where it was what I was reading about, what I was taking notes on, what I was trying to listen to the Holy Spirit about what I was preaching on everywhere I went, finding another corner, another angle to preach about Jonah. Why Jonah? And I think the reason we say why Jonah is because if I pulled the room today and said, tell me what you know about Jonah, everyone would mention the whale. That's the Jonah story. What happened to Jonah? He got swallowed by a whale. Some people might know that he also got vomited up by a whale. He's, also, he's the only character in the Bible to get swallowed by a whale, but he's also the only character in the Bible to get vomited up by a whale. And that's no small feat, by the way. It might be more impressive to get vomited up alive by a whale than swallowed by one. And because of the, the sending Jonah out of the whale's belly, Jonah becomes one more fascinating story. We meet him before he goes in. We meet him while he's in. We meet him when he comes out. And then Jesus comes along and says, a greater than Jonah is here. And the reason why that intrigues me is because Jesus could have said a greater than Moses is here. And we would have thought, wow, this is a great guy. He could have said a greater than David is here. We would have thought we got ourselves a warrior. We got ourselves a real king, a greater than, than insert Old Testament character, probably not Jonah. Why? Because a greater than Jonah is here. Well, I'd like to hope I'm greater than Jonah. God said go and Jonah said no. I'd like to think I'd say yes. God said go and Jonah said okay, but not where you want me to. And then the Holy Spirit has to chase him across the ocean with a storm. He gets swallowed by a whale. He gets vomited up on the shore of the place he was supposed to go in the first place. And covered in whale vomit, he shows up and preaches what's probably the world's worst sermon ever recorded in the Old Testament. We'll get to it in a moment. And what happens is a whole town gets saved. But that's not the end of his story. Jonah has a whole chapter of whining and complaining and telling God how unhappy he is with God's mercy. And it ends up being the only book of the Bible that ends in a question mark where God is not just asking Jonah a question, he's asking you a question. Now, if that doesn't intrigue you, I don't know what will. So when Jesus goes greater than Jonah, I was ready to get busy finding out why. And that's what I want to do with you today in a quick synopsis is to talk about what Jesus might have meant. To do that, let's go to Jonah chapter 3. I want to read for you four verses from Jonah 3, there are four chapters in Jonah. There's no way in one Sunday morning you can really even touch the story. Even though it's only four chapters long, it is deep. It goes into a lot of different places. But I do want to show you the second time God spoke to Jonah. Don't worry, we'll bring you up to speed on the first time in a moment. And then show you that sermon that Jonah preaches to the people of Nineveh. And then we're going to connect it to Jesus because I like everything to start and finish with the author and finisher of our faith. So we want to be on Jesus before we're finished. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Don't worry about the first time yet. We'll get there. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Jonah is not, does, does not have the details or the intricacies of that message 
And we don't ever wait to see if he asks the Lord what he should preach, but here's what he does. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, he rises and goes to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. This might mean that it took Jonah three days to get there from the beach. It might mean that it was big enough it took three days to walk across it. In any case, it sets us up for the fourth verse. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that sentence is Jonah's entire message. That's all he says. At least that's all that's recorded in the book of Jonah, of Jonah to Nineveh. So his sermon is, you have 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. He says nothing about mercy. He says nothing about forgiveness. He says nothing about grace. He just spews out a threat. 40 days and you're done. Matthew chapter 12 is the Jesus response to Jonah's life. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, Jesus, some of the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus and say, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And I want to pause before I read anymore because this is such a typical response of the world of Jesus' day to all that Jesus was doing. He's healing, he's raising the dead, he's preaching, he's feeding the hungry, and yet another sign is always needed. And I'm, I'm struck by the fact that when you look for signs, you never get enough signs. You notice that? You, you say, well, I just need God to confirm it one more time. And if you live in that zone, you'll always need God to do something physical. And you'll need God to touch in a physical way or very real way, very tangible way, rather than trusting by faith. And so they go, we want a sign from you, which is an odd request seeing as Jesus is full of signs constantly. But Jesus says this in verse 39. He answered and said to them, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. I want to pause for a moment and just show you that Jesus decides to take Jonah's story as the one example of a sign that he's going to give to his generation. They ask, give us a sign. This is Jesus. He can do anything. He wants to jump off a building and the angels bury him up lest he cast his foot against a stone. He can do it. If he wants to walk on the water, heal the sick, raise the dead, heal someone by them touching his, the hem of his garment. Of course, everything I'm naming, Jesus does. But when it comes time and the pressure's on to give them a sign, Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give you any other sign except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then Jesus explains what he means in verse 40. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Jesus says, just as Jonah went down into a whale's belly, I'm going to go down into the heart of the earth. And what they would have known is that the Jonah story does not end with Jonah going down into the whale's belly. The Jonah story ends with Jonah being ejected from the whale's belly, being brought out onto a new shore, and Jesus says, so remember Jonah, he disappeared for three days, and then he came back. And Jesus goes, remember that, the sign you need is Jonah, who disappears three days and comes back. The sign the Son of Man is going to leave is he's going to disappear for three days, and he's going to come back. When did that happen? Of course, we know that's Passion Weekend, that's Jesus going to the cross. Three days and three nights, he comes out of the grave, he fulfills the sign of Jonah. But Jesus doesn't stop there, he throws this in, Matthew 12, 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up and in the judgment with this generation and they'll condemn it. 
because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So really, Jesus covers two things in in what is a massive story on Jonah. Number one, the sign of going down into the whale three days and three nights. Jesus goes, that's going to be my sign. I'll, I'll do that. You'll know that I'm real if I do what Jonah did. But secondly, Nineveh repented when they heard the message. They would judge this generation because this generation doesn't repent. And I'm greater than Jonah, which indicates that what I'm saying is even greater than what Jonah's saying. I want to save that for the end because that was Jesus' final statement. And I want to begin with the three days and three nights. I want to begin with the sign because whenever we think of Jonah going down into the whale, we think that God has swallowed someone up in rebellion. And I don't think we're necessarily wrong. I just think that sometimes we forget that he doesn't end up in the belly of the whale. He ends up on the shore of the place he was supposed to go. So the belly of the whale becomes a transport. It gets Jonah from place A to place B, the very place he didn't want to go. The whale ends up taking him to the very place he didn't want to go because what happens in the belly of the whale is actually what happens at the resurrection of Jesus. Jonah goes into the whale and he's supposed to be transformed into the kind of man that will go to Nineveh. But when he comes out of the belly of the whale, he's not transformed into the kind of man that will go to Nineveh with love. He's simply the kind of man that will go to Nineveh out of obligation, covered in whale vomit. Repent. God's going to kill all of you. And then he leaves the city and goes outside and builds a little booth to watch God burn them up. (laughs) And he gets mad when God doesn't burn them up. And God shows up to him and says, why are you so mad, Jonah? Don't you know those are my kids too? And the Jonah story is really a failed transformation. That Jonah goes into the whale where he dies. And he comes out three days later where he's supposed to be a new creation with a message that should change the world. And he goes to Nineveh and he delivers it. And while his message does transform Nineveh, at the end of the book, what God was trying to do was transform Jonah. Because all of us want to change the world, but what God really wants to do is change our world. We want to change our city. We want to change our street. We want to change our kids. We want to change our family. We want to change those around us, our enemies. But our Father is first and foremost in love with transforming us. And so it's easy for me to talk about wanting to see the world come to Christ while there's parts of me that won't come to Christ. It's easy for me to talk about God have mercy on them and not understanding that the mercy of God starts first in here and works on transforming things in me. The success of the Jonah story is Nineveh hears the gospel. The failure of the Jonah story is Jonah doesn't. He goes into the belly of the whale and he's transported And it's a failed resurrection. He comes out alive, but he doesn't come out changed. So when Jesus says a greater than Jonah is here, it's his way of saying, I will go into the whale three days and three nights, but I'll do better than Jonah. When I come out, there's a whole new world. It's a whole new creation. I will succeed where Jonah dropped the ball. I will not fail. And if you do not live in the light of the resurrection of Jesus... You don't really understand what the cross was all about. A lot of us talk about Jesus as dying on the cross for our sins. Great. But please don't stop there. 
Too many of us say Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we don't go on and say Jesus raised from the dead for our life. Yes. Jesus raised out of the grave so that we would realize that this world doesn't win. This system is inferior. Their ideas are faulty. Christ steps into the best thing the systems of the world have, which is power, domination, and death. We can rule you by the iron fist or put you under our thumb. And Jesus says, bring it on at Calvary and steps into it. He goes down into the whale willingly. He's not swallowed up out of rebellion. He pries open the jaws of the whale and steps into death. Now you might be saying, how do you know that the whale is death? Well, that's a great question. Listen to this overview, this little Sunday morning commentary on the book of Jonah. The Bible tells us that Jonah is hanging out at a place called Joppa. It's now Jaffa, just outside of Tel Aviv. The place of Joppa will become famous in the New Testament as the place that Peter sits on a rooftop one day and God brings down a sheet full of unclean animals and says, take, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I don't eat what's unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I call clean. Remember that? That's one of my favorite New Testament stories because we are so prone to call people unclean. And God says, don't ever call unclean what I call clean. And then we don't get to argue and go, yeah, but I really thought they were unclean. And he goes, I don't care what you thought they were. If I tell you to go talk to them, go talk to them. If I tell you to embrace them, embrace them. If I invite them to my table, you invite them to your table. And Peter then goes to Cornelius's house in Acts 10 and he preaches to a bunch of Gentiles. And you don't even know why he's there. And the Holy Spirit falls and every one of them gets saved. And Peter has a light bulb moment and goes, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit is okay with people and wants to save everybody, not just Jews, not just men, not just property owners, not just people that live in one part of the world, not just temple observers. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants everybody. That's a real epiphany moment. It takes to Acts 10 to have that moment. Jonah is the first prophet in the Bible called to preach to non-Jews. And God gives him the message at Joppa, the same place Peter sees the sheet full of animals, with a message to non-Jews. This is why in our book I call Peter Jonah 2.0. God finds him another man at Joppa, gives him another mission to go to Gentiles, and this time it succeeds. And the man is so changed by his ordeal that when he arrives at the council in Acts chapter 15 and the early church is debating whether or not Gentiles can get saved, Peter's the first guy to raise his hand at the council and say, let me show you what happened to me at the house of Cornelius. He goes, I think we all get saved the same way they do. Amen. Not, I think they get saved the same way we do. He said, I think we all get saved the same way they do. That was pathbreaking. Here's a Jewish man saying, I think we actually will find God the way Gentiles do, not demand Gentiles find God the way we do. Amen. That's, that's mind-blowing. It's world-changing. It happens right there in the book of Acts. And it happens in Joppa, the same place Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't avoid Nineveh because he's scared of Nineveh. And he has right to be scared of Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians have been oppressing Israel for decades, maybe centuries. By the time it's time to go to Nineveh, Nineveh is the the strongest military power in the world of Israel. And by the time Jonah shows up at Nineveh, Israel is a vassal state ruled over by the Assyrian king. And Nineveh is the shining city of military strength. Just walking into Nineveh, 
Archaeologists have discovered mounds of skulls that the Ninevite generals would decapitate their enemies on the battlefield and then let their, sons, their, their, their skulls bleach in the sun and pile them up outside the city to show all foreigners what happens if you mess with Nineveh. Jonah's not scared to go to Nineveh because Jonah's scared to die. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh and he makes it very clear to God because he knows God will forgive them. And Jonah represents all of us who have found someone out there we don't like, who we're kind of glad that judgment is coming and we can't wait for it to happen. And while we would spiritually like to see them have a revival, we won't be too mad if they don't because they'll finally get what's coming to them. And that's Jonah with Nineveh. God, if I go, they'll get saved. But if I just don't go, you get to kill them all. And God calls Jonah to Nineveh, and Nineveh is not where Jonah wants to go, so Jonah goes somewhere. And when he gets to the port at Joppa, he gets on a boat that's on its way to Tarshish, which is the wrong direction, by the way, from Nineveh. And he buys a ticket, and the Bible says he goes down to Tarshish, and then he goes down into the boat, and then he goes down to the bottom part of the boat and ultimately goes down to the bottom of the sea because the author of the book of Genesis wants you to catch that four-letter word, down, because every step you take away from where you're supposed to be will be a step down, 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 into the darkest and the lowest place, always away from the goodness of God, always away from the presence of God, and then down into the boat and down to a place of sleep and Jonah, content that he's finally successfully run from God, catches a nap on the sea as he goes across the Mediterranean. And I've got to think he thought that sleep was a sign that God had blessed his decision. Right? You say, God must be happy with me because everything's going good. I got no problems. God must be content with this motion, this moment. And Jonah goes down and he falls asleep. And the Bible says a storm begins to rage on the sea. And miraculously, Jonah sleeps right through the storm. The boat is rocking and the sea is raging and it's hitting the sides of the boat. Water's coming over the edge and Jonah sleeps on. And I like to pull back to about a 30,000 foot view and watch Jonah on his little boat floating across the Mediterranean and the wind's blowing and the sea is rocking. And looking at it, we don't know what's going on, but we see a sleeper. One guy in the boat sleeping. And if we go to the story of Jesus, Jesus once takes his disciples onto a boat and he says, let's go across to the other side. And about halfway across the sea, Jesus finds a nice, cozy, comfy corner of the boat gets him a soft pillow and falls asleep. And the Bible says that after Jesus falls asleep, a storm rages. And the boat rocks and Jesus sleeps right through it. And from the 30,000 foot view, how many of you realize that Jonah and Jesus look like the exact same person? Jonah's asleep on a boat and the waves are rocking. Jesus is asleep on a boat and the waves are rocking. The sailors wake Jonah up and say, why is this happening to us? The disciples wake Jesus up and say, why is this happening to us? Jonah has to admit he's running from God. You should throw me overboard. Jesus has to admit, what's wrong with your faith? If I'm on the boat, you should be fine. I have to admit that I can't tell the difference 
in rest and apathy sometimes. What I mean is if I look from 30,000 feet on Jonah and 30,000 feet on Jesus, what I see is someone sleeping in the midst of chaos. The truth is, is that Jonah needs to wake up. The other truth is Peter, James, and John need to go to sleep. You see, there are storms in this life that you have to rest through. I mean, you have to just snuggle up next to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm going where I'm supposed to go. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. All hell is fighting against me. I am going to rest in Jesus' name. How many of you know that? If you're not doing that, try that out. There are also storms of your own devising. You did it. You created issues and problems with your coworker and your spouse and your kid and your parent and your next door neighbor. And the swirls of chaos are chasing you everywhere. And you're trying to ignore it like ignoring it is holy. And that's Jonah sleeping on a boat in a storm he created. And the longer you ignore it, the worse it gets. And, you go, and as you sit and hear that, you go, well, man, can you teach me the difference? And the answer is no, I can't. Part of the journey of life is figuring out which storms you created and which storms are just being human. And the ones you create, it's time to get up and help water get thrown out of the boat. It's time to get thrown overboard into a whale. It's time to take responsibility for the junk you've done. I did it. I messed it up. I'm going to try to fix it. I'm going to fix it by loving people. I'm going to fix it by saying I'm sorry. I'm going to fix it by putting the work in. I'm going to fix it by concentrating on my life. I'm going to fix it by paying attention to my neighbor. I'm going to fix it by not being what I was before I did that. I hope you realize that just because we preach Christ's finished work does not mean that Christ is finished working on you. Amen. Christ finished the work for the redemption of man. He's not going to die again. He's not going to re-sanctify, re-justify, re-glorify, re-forgive. He's done all of that work. It's finished. You don't have to kill a lamb. You don't have to pay God off. You don't have to wonder if he's mad. He's done it all at Calvary. But he's not finished with you. Because when it comes to you and it comes to me, we got a bunch of stuff the Holy Spirit is at work on. Thank you, Jesus. And we interfere and we get involved and we create storms. I can't tell you if your storm is your doing or your storm is just life, but I can tell you that Christ enters into every boat you enter into. Even if it's a storm of your devising, even if it's yeah. a storm of this life, he goes into the boat with you. I love, one of my favorite moments in the Old Testament is where David says, if I make my bed in hell, you will be there. Why I love that verse so much is I've made my bed in hell a time or two. Amen. Now I know it's me and maybe one or two other people that have ever done that. None of you, <laughs> none of you have ever laid your head down in a hell of your own creation, but I think you probably have. And the good news is, is when you lay your head down in a hell of your own creation, you look over and his head is laying right there next to you. He is right wherever you are going, if you enter into this, I enter into this. You ride this boat, I ride this boat. Now some of these storms, son, daughter, you created. And you need to wake up. And you need to start throwing water overboard. And you know what well, the only hope that you have for that boat is your death. And I don't mean your physical death. The only hope you have for that boat is to die to your need to be right. Die to your need to be revenged, avenged. How do you do that? That's going down into the whale. 
the darkest and lowest place you can go, and letting it swallow you up so that when it vomits you onto the next shore, because it will, because that's resurrection. That's following Jesus. That's taking me and putting it into Christ. And we go to the darkest depths of his death, and out of that comes a new me, a brand new creation, someone that doesn't act the same, think the same, talk the same, walk the same. Not overnight, but that process is going on in me, and as I come out the other side, Jesus said, you thought Jonah got it right finally, but a greater than Jonah is here because reality is, is it's a brand new inside, not just a brand new outside. Jonah looked like whale vomit, but it looked like something had really happened to him. He had just ended up on the right shore. But a true transformation is from the inside out to where we fall in love with the Nineveh that we hated. Where we fall in love with the thing we tried to avoid. And so Jonah makes his journey across the sea. He is wakened by the mariners who, by the way, show more mercy on Jonah than Jonah wants God to show on Nineveh. It's a sad commentary when you got to go to the world to find mercy, but when you go to the church, you find judgment. God, let us never be a house of judgment over a house of mercy. Let us never be the place where people avoid because they know they'll be judged. They say, I'd rather go hang out at the bar. My friends won't judge me. If I go to the church, all I'll be is judged. God, help us that our message is first judgment and last mercy only after you've earned it. The mariners were more merciful on Jonah than Jonah wanted God to be on Nineveh, and he missed that lesson too. Sometimes the greatest voices of ministry are those around us that are showing love when we're unlovable that are showing mercy when we're showing judgment. And they're trying to shower us with the love, the grace, and the affection that we need. But we put up walls and fences, and that's Jonah. So down into the water he goes, and he's swallowed by the whale. And while he's there, he sings a song of lament and thanksgiving. And he's eventually ejected out the other side. And then the verse that we read was the second time God come to him and said, Now go to Nineveh. I got some bad news for you. If you've been running from the thing God would have you to do, failing to love the person God would have you to love, refusing to forgive the one God would have you forgive, be merciful to the one you'd rather not be merciful to. When he shows up to talk to you the second time, he's going to tell you the same thing. He's not going to go, you know what? I thought it over. They don't deserve mercy. I'm glad we waited. You were right. We shouldn't have forgiven them. See, you were right. No, they don't need. Instead, he comes right back and he goes, okay, now we've come out of the whale. Let's go to Nineveh. Let's do what we're supposed to do. And Jonah makes the three-day journey, and when he arrives, and this takes us down to that last part where Jesus says in verse 41, the men of Nineveh would rise up in judgment with this generation, and they would condemn it because they repented when Jonah preached, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. He's greater than Jonah in that his resurrection is a true transformation. When Jesus comes out of the tomb, he is not the same that went in. Here's a spectacular little Bible study tip for you that most of us never think of. Have you noticed when you read the epistles, the Apostle Paul rarely calls Christ Jesus? He almost always calls him Christ. Sometimes he'll say Jesus Christ, but rarely does he call him Jesus Because for Paul, Jesus was the guy from Nazareth that walked the shores of Galilee and healed the sick and went to the cross. Christ was the new creation that came out of the tomb. Paul, which one did Paul meet on the road to Damascus? Christ. The Christ he saw on the road to Damascus, that bright shining light, 
that Christ transformed Paul. And I'm a, I'm a massive proponent of Jesus and preaching Jesus. Jesus stories, Jesus principle, Jesus theme. But my salvation is in a resurrected Christ. That Jesus Christ is alive as a new creation. And what Christ offers is greater than anything else I could find on this earth. And I don't care what happens after I die, as much as I care about having his life while I'm alive. Oh, I didn't say nothing happens after I die, and I didn't say I don't want to go be with Jesus. I think he's got that all taken care of. I've never been to the other side anyway. All I can do is walk this side out. And I want the life of a resurrected Christ now so that the old me goes in and the new me comes out. Jonah hears it the second time and preaches, and the only message Jonah preaches is, 40 days, and God's going to judge you. And then he turns around and walks out. And I've wondered before if Jonah's message was so flimsy because he was hoping he'd preach so poorly nobody would get saved. You know? I mean, he doesn't have scripture. He doesn't declare the past. He doesn't give a prophetic word other than 40 days and you're all going to die. And then he leaves. And then Jesus says, that generation, if they were alive, would judge this generation, he said. Because that generation had Jonah's sermon and they repented. What if they had Jesus's sermon? Jesus says greater than Jonah is here. I want to present this to you. I think Jesus is saying not only is a greater resurrection here, a greater gospel is here. Jesus comes along preaching, repent, the kingdom is at hand. As far as I'm concerned, one of the most underappreciated aspects of the life and ministry of Jesus is what he preaches. You see, Jesus doesn't preach to people about their post-mortem existence. Jesus doesn't preach, to, not nearly the much as we think that he does. Jesus doesn't even preach to people near as much about their sin. But he does preach to people about the kingdom. Yes. At every turn, he goes, here's the kingdom, here's what it looks like. Here's what would happen if you lived it. Here's what happens when you plant it in the ground. It ends up being like a field. It ends up being like a tree. It ends up being like a dragnet. The kingdom of God is this thing Jesus says that's in you, that's in your midst, that is already here. It's the definition of the finger of God. The kingdom was everything Jesus ever preached was the kingdom. And Jesus thought that that message was better than what Jonah preached. And I want to ask you, what did Jonah preach? Judgment. Gloom, doom, judgment, all of you are going to die. And Jesus said, a greater than Jonah is here. So what must Jesus have been preaching that was better than what Jonah was preaching? And the answer is not, not judgment. The answer is Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God as a present reality. And that's a better message then the judgment of what happens later or what happens when you die, what if you knew what could happen when you're alive? Amen. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Jesus' presentation is greater than Jonah. Jesus' message is greater than Jonah, but it's not just something we can't put our hands around or our head around. It's something we can comprehend. As we watch Jesus live it out, we realize that communing with Jesus is the kingdom, and the greatest message we can give is Jesus. 
It's greater than Jonah in every possible capacity. Greater than Jonah in that his resurrection works. It transforms you from what you were into who you could be. Don't be discouraged if you're not who you could be yet. He isn't finished. Amen. You'll go into the whale more than once. You will. We will. There are going to be parts of our lives that have to go back into the whale again and say, he's doing a work on me when I come out this area of my life as a brand new creation. I'm not talking about spiritually being re-crucified. It's entering into, in every area of your life, all of the things that you need him to transform. And do you realize you have the luxury, the ability to be able to go to the Father and ask this at any time? Father, I see this in me. It's been revealed to me by your Spirit. Send me into your death so I can walk into the resurrection of your life. Show me what it would be for that greater than Jonah to be alive in me. But also, the message I proclaim, let it be one of hope. I fear that we've entered an age of absolute automatic cynicism. Everything we see, we're a cynic and a critic. A revival struck a small college in Kentucky over the last couple of weeks. Many of you might have heard of the Asbury Revival. I've been asked by people face-to-face. I've been asked by people on Messenger. I've been asked by people digitally, what do you think about this? And one of my very first thoughts was, boy, I'm suspicious of this. I tell you what, I don't know about this. And the Holy Spirit, before I could even get the thought completely processed, gave me a good old slap upside the head. And said, why is your default position cynicism? Why do you automatically suspect something's wrong? And I said, well, because I have a little bit of religious PTSD, God. I mean, I talk to God like this. We got into a good argument. It's because I have a little religious PTSD because I saw a bunch of phony, fake flesh that was just people doing whatever came to mind. And it always got co-opted by somebody. Anytime a move of God happened, everybody tried to come in, capitalize on it, raise money off of it. Next church down the street tried to do the exact same thing. we got to sing their songs, wear their clothes, preach their sermon. Heck, we'll even build our building like theirs. God moved in that. That must be what God wants to do. Big, big reason the church of America today looks like the church across the street is because at some point the church across the street had a move of God and the other one decided they were going to transform the way their building looks. At some point we just start copying a lot of the stuff that we saw that worked. Now some of that's aesthetic, some of that's comfort, some of that's just to please the eye, please our, our setting. But a lot of times we take the spiritual things and we try to copy them, we try to duplicate because we have a real McDonald's franchise mentality in America. If it works, start a franchise. Worship like they worship, preach like they preach, do like they do. They got a van ministry, we got to have a van ministry. You go, yeah, but you don't have anybody rides a van. It doesn't matter. We need a van ministry. Buy vans, then fill them up. I go into churches, they're like, we need a youth pastor. And I say, how many youth you got? And they go, none. And I go, why do you need a youth pastor? They go, because we don't have any youth because we don't have a youth pastor. I thought, how are you sure that you don't have a youth pastor because you don't have youth? It's okay. Don't put the cart before the horse. Point is, we try to copy what we see, thinking that copying what we see is the appropriate way to do it. So my first response was, oh, I don't know about this revival. And the Holy Spirit took me to Mark 14, where a woman comes into Jesus. And she breaks an expensive bottle of perfume. And pours it over his feet. And everybody in the room gets their feelings hurt. Because it's an expensive bottle of perfume. And Jesus in Mark 14, 6 says, Leave her alone. 
She's done a good thing. And the Holy Spirit showed me, just change the pronoun from she to they and say, leave them alone. They've done a good thing. So I'm not going to tell the Holy Spirit how to move, how to work. I do pray that no celebrity pastor comes in and thinks they got a word. I do pray that no famous worship team comes in thinking they can record a live album at Asbury 23, bestseller, win a dove and a Grammy. I do pray that nobody comes in and tries to co-opt the beauty of the gospel with the gloom and doom judgment that so often we think follows or precedes revival. I don't know what happened in that place that caused God to do what he's doing there, but I say let them enjoy themselves. If Jesus is glorified, let him be lifted up. And you know what? You can celebrate what someone else has without wishing you had it, and it doesn't make you a bad person. And you can celebrate what someone else has without trying to duplicate it, and it doesn't make you wrong. But it does put us on the wrong side of history to stand on the outside and tell God what he can't do. And to tell God it's not him. And God says, well, how do you know it's not me? Just because it's not on you doesn't mean it's not me. I think this way a lot more since I've spent so much time with Jonah. Because Jonah's got a lot of the things that appear right, but Jonah's got a lot of attitudes that are just dead wrong. The reason Jonah ends with a question mark is it gets to the end of the book and Jonah's mad. I'm going to close with this thought. This is that fourth chapter. This is the most neglected chapter in Jonah's book. Most of us know about the whale and we might know that he got vomited up, but we don't know there's a whole other chapter. And in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah goes outside of Nineveh and he builds him a little booth. And he sets in the booth to protect himself from the shade to watch and see if God destroys Nineveh. And when God doesn't, the fourth chapter opens with Jonah having a prayer meeting with God and telling God how mad he is. And listen to what he says. He says, I am mad because you are a God that is long-suffering and merciful and is good to people. You go, why would, he, why would he say that to God? Because he's finally revealing his heart. If nothing else, the whale got him to be honest. And so he tells God, you know what I'm ticked off is, is that you forgive them, and I don't want them to be forgiven. They've killed my family for generations. This, pe- this people has done nothing but genocide over my people. And you called me in here to preach to them? So I went in there and I gave the shoddiest message I could give, and you forgave them anyway, because I know that's what you do. And God builds, has a little bush grow up over Jonah to give him extra shade. And the Bible says Jonah's so excited because of the bush. And the next day, a worm comes along, and Jonah can watch as the worm eats the bush and kills it. And Jonah gets so mad, and God goes, why are you mad now? And he goes, because you killed my bush. Jonah's being really honest, finally. You you get to the point of honesty, good stuff can happen. And he finally goes, because you killed my little shrub. That's the only thing good I had left in the world, and you killed it. And God goes, now you know how I feel. That all these kids in in Nineveh are going to die. And are judged. And he said, if you are mad, this is how Jonah ends. He goes, if you are mad about a shrub, he goes, how do you think I feel about a group of people out there that don't know who I am? Question mark. And the book ends. So that all of us that ever read Jonah will get to the end of the book and we'll know somebody out there we hope gets judged. And we'll be forced before we close that book to deal with the question mark. Where God says to us, how do you think I feel? And not how do you think, how mad do you think I am? But how do you think I feel? They're my kids. I love them. I'm working on them. I'd like for you to participate. 
But if you won't, I'm going to love them anyway. I just want to participate. You? I just want to participate. Teach me how to love them, Lord. Show me what mercy looks like. If I got to go into the whale to be resurrected, greater than Jonah goes into the whale with me. He knows how to resurrect. So that what comes out on the other side is not just covered in whale vomit. doesn't just have a testimony. But it understands the heart of the Father. Lord, let me love what you love. Let me be merciful to what you are merciful to. Let me tell you today two things. One, the greater than Jonah is here for your resurrection. That whatever you bring to him, he can bring into, his, into the darkness of death and bring out a brand new creation. I challenge you, bring it to him, whatever it is. Get as honest as you can. Bring it before God and let that whale of death swallow it up so the brand new you can be birthed. I challenge your biggest issues into the death of Christ so that new creation reality can begin. And finally, secondly, a greater than Jonah is here in the message that is delivered. I challenge you to see a God that is not fuming with anger and ready to judge everything, but a God who is slow to anger, who is patient, who is merciful, who is gracious, we might think, to a fault, who puts up with and puts up with and puts up with, not because he's some pressure cooker who's getting madder and madder and madder and going to blow up at any day, but because he's a dad that keeps looking down the road going, maybe today's the day he comes home. Maybe today's the day he comes home. Maybe today's the day he comes home. Church, the wrath of God is expressed in the fact that he lets you go slop hogs if you want to. And the whole time you're down there slopping hogs, that's the shadow of God's love. Because you want to know where the loving father is? Standing at the end of the lane waiting for you to come home. Come on home. Come on home. Come on home. And his prayer is that you do what the prodigal son does is come to your senses and say, I believe I'll go home. And that's the father right now over the whole wide world going, I hope they come to their senses. Come on home. Come on home. Come on home. I don't want them to come home, God. He goes, hey, in this book with a question mark, you get over there and figure out what's going on with you. Don't worry about what's going on with them. Between you and between me, we can do a work in you. But hey, come home. Come home. Come home. Church, if we show up every week with the idea of come home, come home come home then we'll walk in here to be dealt with by the spirit for the sole purpose of going out to see who we can bring home for him and who we can love into his kingdom repent paul preached in acts 10 repentance towards god and faith towards jesus christ i think that's the message of the church that's the greater message than jonah knew how to preach repentance towards god means change your mind metanoia change your mind about god and believe in jesus so I challenge you today, change your mind about God. He's not mad at you. He's not fuming at you. He didn't steal your job. He's not making your kids rebellious to teach you a lesson. That cancerous tumor is not God trying to get you to wake up. God sees everything that is happening to you and he steps into your hell. So the diagnosis is a chance for the father to step into the diagnosis and say, I'll walk through this with you. I didn't make it happen, but I will not leave you in the middle of this. Wherever you walk, I walk. It's the Father stepping in. So I challenge you to change your mind about God. He's not mad. He's not distant. He's not isolated from you. And I challenge you to believe in His Son who loved you not just enough to die for you, but loved you enough to resurrect for you. Amen. So that you could have life and you could have more abundant. So that you could put who you were into who He is so that you could be who He would have you to be. 
And so you can walk into that. This is a joyous journey of Christianity. You're not finished yet. I know you had a good day yesterday. Listen, I know we had good days. We had good days. When I was here in Popper Blubber, we were at we had good days. We had good seasons. We watched God do great things. Amen. That was yesterday. Right. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. I'm not giving you some prophetic word that your best emotional moment is tomorrow or your best day is tomorrow. I'm saying to you that the God that moved in that moment, the God that moved in that season is the God who has progressed you into this season so that the God, so that the you that is in this season is the you you were growing into way back where you celebrate. You're looking back on all those moments going, those were great times. This is the you that was being birthed then. This is the you that was being formed, that was being spiritually made, that was being caused to stand on the rock of faith. That's Christ doing the work in us. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray. Just ask the Father to do those two miraculous revelations. Father, show us how a greater than Jonah is here in our own resurrection. We went down into a whale. We've had our own problems. We've had our own issues, but a greater than Jonah is here. Because when we come out of this situation, we are new creations. There is going to be a new version of me tomorrow that is just being formed today. I love yesterday. I thank you for yesterday. But I am excited about tomorrow. Because yesterday shaped me for today. And today I'm in your space for what you're going to make of me tomorrow. Father, if there's anyone here who this is the first time they've ever considered the resurrected Christ. May God the journey begin today of faith. May they begin to change their mind. And Father, this is that other thing I hope you place in our hearts strongly is that a greater than Jonah is here in in message. It's not just gloom and doom. It's not God ready to knock somebody out. It's Jesus, the express image of the Father. If we see him, we've seen God. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Father, give us a revelation of that Jesus that greater than Jonah so that we see and we know of your love. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good, church?